0: Hello and welcome to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business in the community podcast in partnership with One Young World. Well, I'm so delighted that our guests today are Peter Perry, CEO of Dur Cymru, Welsh Water, and Anina Lux, Senior Manager and Head of Strategic Foresight at Capgemini Invent. Now, in this episode, we'll be exploring an issue that's at the heart of all businesses today, the cost of living crisis. We'll also hear how one of our guests started life as an apprentice and how responsible disruption and transformation are business imperatives for every organisation today. To find out more, let's get into the conversation. Peter and Nina, welcome to The Lens. So, Peter, if we start with you, first of all, it's always nice to get a little sense of who our guests are. We see CEO of Dour Cymru, Welsh Water. But who's the man behind the big title, so to speak? Tell us a bit about how you got into your organisation.
1: Um, do you know, it was all a bit of an accident, if I'm honest. I, I left school um, back in, uh, in 1980, God forbid. And uh, I must tell you, I had no real idea of where I was going to end up and what I was going to do. I lived lived at the time in South Wales, full of heavy industry, and the the normal route was was into that. But I just got an opportunity to go and see if I wanted to become an apprentice at our local water company. And uh, do you know, I joined it, and I must tell you, I'm as enthusiastic today as as I was then for this industry. The industry grabbed me. It it, it is an industry that, that gets under your skin in the nicest possible way, because Whether you're supplying drinking water, uh, which ultimately is, you know, an absolute prerequisite of life, or whether you're dealing with the other end of our business, our wastewater, our sewage business, they they tend to be in great environments. and. and with the wastewater side of the business you're actually protecting the environment so all those kind of things have uh, really shaped my career and then i guess on the managerial side i had some opportunities to take on more responsibility i have probably had some good people i worked with some great people who maybe saw a spark of something in me and i took every opportunity that came my way including taking some risks and uh, traveling for work um I then joined the electricity industry for a while in South Wales, which was brilliant, and gained some further experience. More latterly, uh, about just under 20 years ago, I guess, I, uh, I went to work for a, a commercial uh, utility business uh, across Europe uh, and that was great the wider person very very interested in sport love the great outdoors um, uh, I've, got a, I've got a nine-year-old grandson who keeps me very very grounded so that's me.
0: Well your passion for life uh, really shines through you didn't do the university route at that time and you've become a bit of a poster boy for apprentices look what you can achieve if you don't Necessarily take the traditional route at the time. So, where are you now with the way you recruit apprentices? Is it something that's very important to you?
1: It is, um, but but you need a blend in in any organisation. I think you know we we have some very 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 clever graduates that we recruit uh, on an annual basis. We've got about two hundred, let's call them trainees in the round in our our organisation at any one time, and we're we're, we're topping that up with about thirty. People joining us every, every year. And it's a lovely blend. What I've learned is you need an absolute blend of people and all ages and all, all backgrounds. And, um, it, it is incredibly important for us. We, we've got 40 year old apprentices these days, which I think is brilliant and, and a good smattering of female colleagues and colleagues from other backgrounds and minorities as well, but not enough of them. So, so for me, I think the apprenticeship has, has re-emerged.
0: So, Anina, I absolutely love your job title, Head of Strategic Foresight. Can you tell us how you've come to be in this role and what you actually do? Yes, absolutely.
2: Um, So strategic foresight is the field around future analysis and strategy um, and really around coping with the insane amount of complexity and uncertainty that we see in the world around us today. And that is really what attracted me to this uh, field. Um, I studied a BA in history and an MA in international security. And both of those fields really try and understand how the world around us is developing and why and how we can impact it in a way that makes our future better. And um, when I came out of those degrees and also looked around for opportunities to really do that and build a positive future, strategic foresight kind of uh, crossed my path and I decided that that's absolutely perfect for me and the right way to to make a positive impact uh, and to build the future that I really want to see for, for myself and for all of us.
0: So what's a typical day for you then? Or is that, uh, is there such a thing? Yeah, the great
2: thing is that there isn't such a thing, because with Strategic Foresight, we can work on literally anything and any topic that comes to mind. So in the past, we've done stuff on sustainable mobility, we've done stuff on the future of disaster response, Um, and to me, that's a great thing to be able to look at all these different issues that are facing us today and that we have to solve um, as a global community in in the most cases.
0: You've alluded to the the changes in the the work demographic. Uh, The workforce has become more uh, diverse. But what other changes and challenges have you seen?
1: I I think the changes, you you know, you have to mention technology. And and I'll I'll, I'll mention, you know, IT and computing is absolutely incredible. You know, when I joined, everything was still Um, paper-based. There were mountains of paper around the place. Whereas um, over the course of the last 40 years of my work in life, you know, the idea now that our, our frontline colleagues have an iPad and on that iPad, they do everything. Everything from um, getting their work, getting their, 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 their geographical locations ready for the day, having their health and safety briefings and taking part in meetings in video conferences, so the technological change that's come with computing is is incredible. I think the other the other kind of change I've seen is is much more of a responsible attitude to the environment. You know, the idea that the environment does really matter. I, I would argue that um, my colleagues in the the water industry, even many decades ago, had that uh, sort of um, focus. I, I think customer expectations have changed. I think people are rightfully, in my own mind, much much more demanding of, uh, of the services they receive. I, I can recall times when, um, you know, a, a community would lose water for a day or two mm-hmm. and, you know, they wouldn't complain too much about that, whereas today, rightfully, a few hours and um, we, we, we're delivering better levels of, uh, of service. And what I'm also delighted of, about really is there's much more of a view these days uh, to take on global perspectives. A, a great example in our own business, we're working with 70 organisations questions on our long-term uh, research development and innovation strategy and those organizations are global consultancies they're, they're, they're universities from around the world and uh, and again i think we're doing much more of that because the world has shrunk in many ways hasn't it? those sort of things are pretty transformational i think
0: i suppose living where we live in the uk we take it for granted that we can turn a tap on and that water comes out we take it for granted that we can flush a toilet and waste is taken away but when actually when you look at how scarce water is or drinking water and safe fresh water how scarce that is and how when you look ahead how scarce that's going to become how big a worry is that for you
1: it's probably for us, after the health and safety of our, our people um, in the activities they carry out for us. I, I would say that climate change risk is probably the biggest risk we, as a business, face, and, and arguably society. We we can you know um, we we can look at the trends in relation to the uh, the weather systems that hit us on the western seaboard of the UK, and the intensity of rainfall when we get hit is very very different to what we've been used. to. I think we, we, this last summer, the drought of 2022, which has hit both uh, not just Wales but other parts of the UK, is a real uh, significant milestone. I think. I think we've had the combination of the highest temperatures, uh, the, the greatest amount of uh, sunshine, and the lowest. Uh, ever level recorded of rainfall in some parts of the country so this is incredibly real we've worked with a number of universities who have put in a lot of predictive analysis about where climate change is heading in the uh, in the UK and if I look back at our business plans of 2015 2010 we knew what was coming I think what we're, we're becoming more concerned about is the frequency, because the last significant drought in this part of the world was 2018. You know, That's four years ago. Um, if you go back before that, they have they, they tended to happen once every decade. Adaptation to deal with it is, is going to be the, uh, the, the real challenge for our children and, and grandchildren.
0: Does this keep you awake at night?
1: It does, particularly when we're in the eye of the storm or the uh, or the centre of the drug, for sure. Because um, if you look back at this uh, this summer that's that's, that's just ended. Absolutely. We we have seen river levels in Wales. Uh, we have seen our corresponding reservoir levels that are filled very often from those rivers. I've never uh, seen before levels. So I think if you're in an industry like ours, which is so reliant on the environment for our base products on the one hand, and then the, uh, the protection of our infrastructure on the other, um, this, this is probably in terms of our risks, the uh, the very highest that we're facing as a, as, a, as a company and as a society.
0: Just talking about your, your customers, you're a not-for-profit uh, organisation, isn't that correct? And you've talked about being responsible and, and being an educator of your customers. So what are you actually doing to help them now with this cost of living and energy crisis that we're in?
1: Sure, we, um, proportionally, we, we are a not-for-profit, not-for-shareholder. We operate as a company that makes a profit, the difference with us is we retain it for the benefit of customers. It doesn't leave to uh, to shareholders. Proportionately, we have the biggest... Um help scheme or aid scheme for customers who struggle to afford their water bills. We effectively cut uh, a water bill in half uh, for about 140,000 of our customers at present. We we also um, do a range of other things. We, uh, we, We look at Opportunities that when people are vulnerable, it sometimes can be a transient state. They're not vulnerable permanently. Some people are, unfortunately. But we allow people to take breaks in their, their bills. If we, if we get a commitment for them to come back and start repaying in two or three months' time, we'll, we'll allow them those periods to to get through those those times of trouble. We, we are making provision for another 50,000 customers to go on to that 144,000 people that we help already. And and then the the third thing I'd say, and it's a horrible turn of phrase, but but the group that we are increasingly worried about and we we interact with these customers are people in our contact centres every day, are those known as the working poor. So they're not entitled to any form of uh, universal credit or they're not entitled to uh, any form of state benefit. But they struggle to make ends meet and, and they have something known as a negative budget. We've got a scheme we're going to pilot into our big urban areas in January. Uh, so we're looking to extend the um, the, the help that we can uh, give our, our customers. And, and similarly, we're trying to be very fair to our own people as well, because we know our our employees are uh, are, are, are up against it.
0: Absolutely. Yes, it's terrifying. And it's, it's wonderful to hear everything that you're, you're doing. Anina, what are your thoughts on the cost of living crisis then? I noted your recent comments on how crucial it is for us to be future ready for disaster response. But this disaster is sitting right at our door now. And how can businesses make a difference in how they respond? Yeah, I think...
2: There are really two two sides um, on this. The one thing is that we are seeing that crises um, and the, the cost of living in particular, but also all the others we see, are becoming more and more intense. Um, So that means um, we are facing larger crises, um, longer crises, um, more frequent crises, to be honest also, um, and the impact and the origin of these um, are becoming more and more diverse. Um, And I think that is something that as a society, we have to tackle and businesses play a key role there. And in the past, I believe businesses have been a little bit sidelined. And in the past years, we've seen that they've come a lot into focus in, in solving these issues um, And first and foremost, I think the big potential in business is that they tend to be quite fast thinking and they tend to see both the potential and the challenge. Um, and especially in crisis, I do believe that seeing both sides is key. Because, yes, of course, we need to solve the problems and we need to solve the big challenges that we see um, around cost of living and otherwise. Um, But at the same time, usually there are a number of opportunities in this as well. Um, And technology is one great example for that. You know, technology can really help us solve crisis. And at the same time, it offers the potential to make our future so much better um, for all of us.
0: I Anina, mean, I know you're part of the Cap Gemini Invent, and in the the description that I read, it said that the organisation is an innovation, design, and transformation powerhouse, accelerating ideas into prototypes and scalable real world solutions that help clients get the future that they want. So, what does that actually mean, and how does it fit with responsible business? Yeah,
2: Um, I think for me, there are really two key parts in that statement. One is real world, uh, because that is something um, that absolutely needs to be at the focus of of businesses and that I love um, about what we do. Um, Businesses and especially in mind and provide solutions that are tailored um, to problems that we see today that are. Um, quick on the market and that really aim at solving these things um, hands-on. And the second part, of course, for me uh, is get the future you want. Because I work with strategic foresight and because I love working on future analysis, of course, um, this is really um, what I live for. And I love that it's so ingrained in the Capgemini DNA means I get to exchange with so many colleagues on um, how we can actually have an impact in all the different fields that we see a crisis in um, and what it means in, in, in daily life um, for, for everyone that works on these issues.
0: And can you really get the future mm-hmm. that you want? Yes, I have thought
2: a lot about this uh, because I think this is a very tricky uh, question, but I genuinely believe you can. Um, And I think especially in times of crisis, we need to become the architects of our own futures and our own positive futures. And we need to move away from seeing ourselves as victims. And I know that's hard and it requires a lot of perseverance and boldness and especially teamwork. Um, but I genuinely believe if we want to solve the crises that we see today, um, especially those becoming more and more intense, we do need to step away from seeing ourselves as the victims of, of those crises and, and start building the positive futures that we want to see.
0: And then what about those poor countries and, and and people there who maybe don't have the same voice as other parts of the world? What should we be doing to help make sure that everybody gets the future that they want and Deserve
2: them? Yeah. That is a really, really good question, and one that's really dear to me because, um, aside from working in foresight, I also founded an NGO a couple of years ago that specifically looks at this issue. And I think the key point here is that um, what we can do and what people there can do are two very different things and to me it's always very important that the solution comes from the people that face the problem Um, supported by of course everyone else who can support that Um, but I absolutely believe that um, we cannot solve someone else's crisis and we shouldn't um, because we just don't know enough about their situation. For me the, the way forward here is really to offer the support uh, that they need be that um, in financial terms or in in terms of knowledge um, expert knowledge that we can provide um, or guidance um, to enable um, them to find or even just enact the solution because i think very often the solution is
0: already there you know people know what they want to do they are just lacking the means so let's talk about disruption. It's a term I'm hearing more and more and especially here on The Lens. I'd love to hear from both of you what your views are on businesses being disruptive. How does it actually work? And what are the benefits to people, the planet and the places in which you work?
1: I, I think uh, I, I touched on it slightly earlier on in, in the sense that most utility businesses are information rich. We we collect loads and loads of, of data. Where we were um, off the pace in the past is that we didn't have a data science capability. Uh, we've now got a team of nearly 50 people here in data science. If you'd asked me that 10 years ago, I, I wouldn't have even known what data science was to be uh, to be absolutely candid about this. The big disruptor for us apart from climate change, but, but to deal with it, is to be able to take that information and turn it into meaningful intervention. Um, and and what do I mean by in, in, in that, that intervention? With data science, we, we store water in things we call service reservoirs. These are concrete tanks that that supply towns and villages with with water. They're all over the world. You often don't see them. They're they're buried underground. We've got a tool that our data scientists have built that can tell us which ones are most at risk of having some form of bacteriological contamination. Um, Ten years ago, that thinking wasn't there. And the idea that we have that in-house, that capability is incredible. We have thousands of remote monitoring alarms across our networks, something called telemetry. We've now got artificial intelligence telling us which one of those assets is either going to fail or has the potential to fail, and we try and get to those assets before they do and before they hurt the environment or spoil uh, service to customers. So the biggest disruptor for us is is technology and, in particular, data and that automation of that data and making it readily available to uh, to use so it, it's a um, a technological revolution in a way I think the other the other disruptors for us are very much focused on our customers and there's no two two ways about it. Our customers are much more environmentally aware these days and you will have seen certainly in the UK a lot of criticism of water companies for our environmental performance mm. and uh, for the avoidance of doubt. you know, I, I, I know my colleagues and I in water utilities want to make our environmental performance um, even better than it is and we know we've got a long way to go but that, that societal disruption demanding different standards, demanding things change from what we've been used to in the past are, are probably the two big disruptive areas for, uh, for our business.
2: Yeah, For me personally, I think the more powerful term is transformation in general. I know that's very subjective. Um, I absolutely love that disruption has moved away from being this absolutely negatively connotated term to being something positive, um, to to showing um, or delineating some very agile and flexible and fast change, which I think is what we need sometimes. Um, But at the same time, I do think that um, in very many crises, we don't necessarily need this very quick um, disruptive change, but much rather a future transformation um, that can span years. Um, And sometimes both of these have, have a role to play. I do think with topics like the climate crisis, disruption has a huge value just because we do need that change to happen very, very quickly and we need it to be momentous Um, we can't afford to wait 20 30 years um, to solve this and yes we do need to think about the long run here but at the same time we need the quick change I think for for society very often a transformative process is much more able to carry them with it rather than having a disruption that you know comes very quickly and and potentially also has a very short-term impact
0: and how hard can that be always to get everybody on board that you need to be on board? I think that's very tricky. I think that is something that requires
2: a lot of expertise in bringing people together, in finding a consensus and in getting people to actually act on common ground and every context is different. If you look at disaster response, if you look at the climate crisis, every situation has different stakeholders and of course um, needs a tailored solution.
0: So business in the community is encouraging businesses to go faster, braver, and bolder in the decisions they're making for the benefit of people and the planet. So we're asking people to think about this in three key ways. One, how is your business being fairer to your people? Two, greener in its treatment of the planet. And three, working together with communities. So I'd love to ask each of you how your businesses are doing that, Anina.
2: Yeah, um, I think one of the great things about Capgemini Invent is that we are so people-centric. So when it comes to being fairer to our people, um, that is absolutely at the heart um, of this company. And to me it's the great thing about it is that we don't have a one-fits-all plan for this of course we have all sorts of measures in place that make sure that we have well-being in the job that we have diversity in the job um, and that we that we ensure for example that people have a work-life balance and um, that fits um, to their needs um, and their family situation or otherwise. Um, but at the same time um, what i really really enjoy is the ability to pursue and get support for the idea uh, that matter to me um, for the things that I want to put into practice that I want to do Um, I think pro bono and corporate social responsibility are also really key ways on impacting not just our people um, but the people around us and that's something else that uh, I absolutely love about Capgemini being able to uh, participate in pro bono projects to drive corporate volunteering and to drive different other things that really impact the society around us
1: Sure, I, I think starting with our people. Um, again, going back to, to COVID, you know, within within two or three weeks, we had everybody who could work from home working from home, and it's been really successful for us. And I know some companies are bringing people back in. We're, we're not doing that because what we've managed to do is is consolidate our our office accommodation into some really um, high quality centres now. And we see the advantage to our people to be able to to, to work at uh, or work from home. And the feedback I, I get from colleagues is the ability now to, to provide care to children, uh, to provide care to, to relatives and to miss the commute and the carbon saving. We're definitely going to do that. The, the other thing, uh, the standard things like, um, you know, commitment to the real living wage, uh, treating people equitably, giving people career paths, I could go on. But I, I must say, I think the balance between employer and employee has changed somewhat from COVID. I think greener in terms of treatment of the planet is what we do as a business. You know, we, we protect the environment um, and we uh, we're looking to reduce carbon. We're going to be net carbon zero by 2040. We're going to be 90% of the way there by 2030. Um, and day in, day out, we've got women and men in this organisation that are trying to prevent pollution. So in terms of being greener and doing those things, big role, I think, for our our, our our customers in all of this, and engaging with them to take us to take them on that that journey with us. And in terms of the communities, um, we, we we invest at a rate of about a million pounds uh, every single day in our capital program, and we have built something called water resilient communities because what we have found is we can go into an area and we might lay a dirty grey water main, or we may build a big sewer. And traditionally, we've gone in, done that, moved on. The disruption that can come with that is is enormous. So we've got a programme called Water Resilient Communities. What that does, it goes into a community, works with local authorities, works with the third sector. And we'll talk to communities about things like how vulnerable people can reduce their water bills that we we touched on earlier. Um, We found that our recruitment of apprentices and trainees in our most deprived areas... Was non-existent, so we now go in and couple the idea of recruitment in an area that we're we're going to be putting in a new, uh, a a new improvement scheme of some some sort. The other thing we have, um, going back to uh, a a very different part of our business, we have a recreational business across Wales. We have five visitor and water sports centres. You can imagine the location of these reservoirs in the main are in some of the most beautiful parts of, of, of our country. And and the idea of, of offering our customers that um, different dimension, the idea that they you, you can be as passive as you like. You may just want to go there and walk around the reservoir. Um, we've, we've got five mountain bike tra- uh, tracks, one of them world class down in West Wales. We, we've got climbing walls. We've got fishing We've got windsurfing, we've got paddleboarding, encouraging our customers to take uh, an opportunity to use these facilities. So that, that's what we're doing in those uh, those three areas.
0: So you've mentioned the pro bono work, but as a responsible leader, what, Anina, are you committed to doing more of or less of in the coming year? You personally. Um, one thing that
2: I have set as a goal is to talk more Um, with people Um, and I I know this sounds uh, very odd but I think it's really absolutely key that we have conversations that we have dialogue with people that we don't maybe necessarily speak to people that hold opinions that are not our own um, and also people that are perhaps close to us in our own context um, but that we don't usually engaged in a conversation about a particular topic. And I found for, for myself and for my work, that's absolutely enriching in giving new impulses and bringing up new dimensions on how we can become better for society, for the planet, for ourselves in general. Um, the second one really is key in our policy as well. We have an absolutely uh, stringent sustainability policy that we really drive and stand behind. So I'm only travelling by train. I'm not travelling by plane. At least that is the goal.
1: That's a very good question. Um, I think um, whilst the upside of COVID is that we, we, we do a couple of things, don't we? Number one, we're far better at this this remote uh, meeting, and I and, and I think that's great in a way because it saves driving and carbon. I, I, I've just spent the last um, month doing twenty roadshows with our teams across Wales, face-to-face meetings with our three thousand employees. We haven't been able to do that since. Um, 2019, one of the things that I'm determined to do now is get back out on the road and, and meet people in the workplace face-to-face, so that's uh, that, that's definitely one, and having done the road shows and finished in Aberystwyth last Friday, it just goes to show the value of of having real real time feedback rather than over the uh, over the screen. So for me, it's going to be that. And on the personal side of things, dude, getting out in nature as much as I can as well. It just it's brilliant, isn't it? Rather than being uh, stuck in an office like uh, like I'm today.
0: I'd love to know, Anina. Do you have any questions for Peter? Yes, in fact, I do. So. Peter, water is a
2: necessary source to live. Um, And water, of course, is also classified as a critical infrastructure. The Artyl flood we had in Germany last year um, drove this home um, for all Germans. Um, We can't live without water supply. Yet the vast majority of citizens seems to be completely unaware of this. Um, In Germany, most people don't know much about the resilience and emergency planning for water providers. They don't store their own water for crises. Um, And I was really wondering, what is your view on that? Um, What is sensible for citizens to do here? And what is the government's or water provider's job in this context?
1: I think the whole issue of uh, responding to incidents like Artel, we've had this huge summer flood and uh, lots of infrastructure knocked out for a, uh, a number of weeks. Re- really, what, what water utilities do on a global basis is try and get on the front foot with this and give our customers as much advance notice of, of loss of supply. So my sense is the the idea of storing water is probably impractical for many people, but the uh, the way to tackle this is through our communication with customers as an event comes along. What, what, what I've seen happen in um, the, the UK with winter storm events is that we get notifications out to customers as soon as we possibly can when we know there's, there's going to be trouble. And I would argue that is probably the best way of dealing with this rather than having this idea of people storing water, which m- may never be used and in itself is not probably that, that's such a good idea or, or, or that practical.
0: And Peter, do you have any questions for Anina?
1: Anina, you do an awful lot in your job of looking at uh, futures. What well, I would like to know, and uh, it, it's hinted at in your, um, your biography, you're, you're looking for positive futures. What's the best example of a positive future you could give us?
0: Great question. That is a really good
2: question, Peter. Um, I think the great thing about looking at futures is that you realize there are so many positive ones. When we build future scenarios, we always have a very negative scenario and we always have very positive scenario. So in each scenario set I see, be that on the future of sustainable mobility, the future of sustainability, the future of disaster response, we have one very, very positive scenario. Um, and to me, that is always the vision I like to strive towards. Um, it tends to be quite specific, but there are certain criteria that kind of occur in all of The scenarios that um, are the very positive ones. Um, And those really are a society that is engaged in decision making, that has uh, power over uh, making decisions or impacting politics, impacting the economy in the way they want it uh, to to be. policies that are transparent and diverse um, and inclusive um, by nature and by default, really, um, rather than that being being a fight um, and also an economy that is fair in building shares for everyone. So really, of course, these are very broad categories, um, but those are things that we see in almost all the scenarios. Um, Another one is technology. I think uh, technology is something that has an immensely positive impact or can have an immensely positive impact. And really, with all the scenarios we build, um, we see that uh, there is so much potential there to, to give us a better future um, if we can manage to leverage that potential.
0: It has been a joy talking to you both today. Uh, Change is inevitable, uh, but with strategic foresight, we can be future ready with the data, the information and the strategies. And we can still have a good life, hopefully. Thank you so much for joining us today. Peter Perry, CEO of Dura Cymru, Welsh Water, and Anina Lux, Senior Manager, Head of Strategic Foresight at Cap Gemini Invent. You've been listening to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. If your business would like help to become more responsible and ensure your workplaces are fairer, you enhance the planet by becoming greener and work together with others, get in touch at www.bitc.org. .uk Thank you for listening and tune in next time.